Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. This is my first, uh, my first time up here, so it's a blessing uh, to be and an honor to be requested to speak. And uh, I'm usually in this position in court as an adversary to somebody on the other side, an advocate for my client, and at the mercy of the judge and the jury. As a matter of fact, when Pastor Marvin asked me to speak, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, something I was told by the instructor in a continuing education course on jury trial practice. His admonition was, for God's sake, don't bore anyone. Uh, the examples that I'm going to be uh, providing you today are from me and Kathy could do this as well because she was present most of the time as a percipient witness. A percipient witness is someone who relies on some information they received uh, from an eyewitness or from an ear witness. This is first-hand information that they've gathered. As I indicated before, Kathy could get up here and she could tell you a lot of these things because she sat next to me or she was in the same room when these things were told to her. Um, the first scripture uh, that is up there is going to be uh, Luke 12 through uh, 12, 1, uh, but not the entire um, section. In the meantime, when innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled on one another, he began to say. Now this is uh, a time in Jesus' ministry when he had already fed the 5,000 and he already had cast out a bunch of demons and he healed a bunch of people. And so it's no wonder that the group that was there were innumerable. As a matter of fact, you would think that if they were in the ballpark of the 5,000, you would hear numbers being speech. Uh, preached and they didn't say anything about numbers. So we're saying it's with so many of them and they're trampling on one another. And I'm picturing this in my mind. When you think of trampling one another, you're thinking of people running away from uh, a situation like leaving a building in a fire or an emergency or something like that. But this is the opposite. These people are pressing in apparently, trying to get within earshot of our Lord. And so I find that that's the setting that uh, is significant uh, in my view, and in, in, in it, is the, um, it is the setting that is going to be very important here. So I'm going to read to you the things that Jesus is saying, and it's significant in that the scripture says that um, he began to say to his disciples, first of all. So the disciples are there. And I'm going to move through quickly on this. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing hidden that will, be, will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, do not be afraid of those that can kill the body, and after that have no power that they can do. But I 
will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I'll say unto you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So this is the setting. These are the profound subjects that Jesus were talking about. And each one of them is phenomenally important. Okay? So in that context, in that setting, along comes the, uh, the person of interest, let's call him. And go ahead and put that up on the screen, Hunter. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this kind of thing to be brought up after the things that Jesus had just said is phenomenally irritating, in my opinion. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't request God's help. He demands God's help. And it seems trivial compared to the subjects and the topics that Jesus just discussed. It was impertinent. It was disruptive. And we have been in situations and seen that happen during times that you want to be serious or you think it's a serious setting. And these kinds of things happen. And it seems to me that this is the equivalent of what happens today when we get that call on our cell phone to buy an extended warranty on your car. When does that happen? Does it happen to you? Happens to me all the time. Yeah, they're going to they're going to give Rick an extended warranty on his 1962 Studebaker, you know. And another thing, this began with him speaking to his disciples, remember. It says, first of all, he tells the disciples, the disciples are there. And I'm wondering, these are the same disciples that forbid the children to come unto Jesus, but they'd let this guy interrupt and and. and talk up like that what they needed was one of the disciples should have been like Hoss Cartwright and grabbed the guy by the lapels and said back off anyway it, it, it was irritating to me this guy tried to hustle and manipulate the Lord to get an authoritative directive in his favor in front of thousands of people and this is what will happen to you sometimes and even your children can come up and do that this is what will happen. You'll have somebody in a setting where you've got a whole bunch of people who hold you in high regard and your authority and your opinion in high regard, and they want you to chime in and ask you, what do you think of this? What do you think is right? Well, Jesus was going to have none of it. He wasn't going to allow himself to be manipulated. And there's another scripture 
and I believe this is in the Old Testament, I think in Proverbs, where it says, the Lord, to the deceitful, he will show himself shrewd. And so God knew his heart and knew what he was up to, and he wasn't going to get sucked into it. And he didn't. And so this is what his reply is. Man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. In this instance, Jesus only speaks to the man asking, actually demanding the action or the opinion from God. So it was a personal response. In my opinion, it was a fairly solid rebuke. And I, and I thought that would be, that's, that's our Lord. But imagine those in the crowd that were th- watching this and thinking, what do you think they're thinking when this is brought up? Because I just said the disciples let it through, okay? So what do you think that they're thinking? Well, there could be a lot of folks out there that might have been buddies with this guy, and they came there with that purpose to see if they can't get a, uh, a favorable f- response from the Lord. Or there could be people who are just thinking, I'm going to be in that same situation. I need to know what's, what can happen in my situation if that happens. So I'm thinking about that, and, and a lot of them may have come there that were actually interested in the response. So let me tell you, uh, something needs to be examined with respect to what this guy is. And I say, who is this guy? Well, he's evidently the younger brother. Um, and that he has an inheritance that has actually became ripe. Uh, It's vested to some extent. The father is passed on. And this guy kind of reminds me of the prodigal son who actually came to his dad and said, I want you dead. You just as well be dead. I want my, my cut now while you're alive. That was the attitude that he had. And that's and this is an extension of that kind of attitude. Now, the, in the Old Testament, the oldest got a double portion. And if there were two boys, the older got 67% and the, and the younger got 33%. And there are very re- weird rules regarding inheritance in the scriptures. If you go to Deuteronomy 21 and Numbers 27, you'll find that there's some real weird stuff about a guy having more than one wife and, and, and having children from concubines and all that stuff. It's weird. But the bottom line was is that the oldest of whomever bore the first child for the man was entitled to a double portion. And then it would be break out in different ways where if there were more than one, more than one man child, more than one son, and based on their activity, they probably had a whole bunch of them. Um, that's the kind of thing that would happen. Now, in this instance, this inheritance must have been land. If it was money, they'd be able to just divide it, and, they, and it wouldn't be um, an issue. But there was land that was at stake here. And land was very important in the Jewish law. Uh, and that was, the, that was your, your, big, um, your big item of wealth. Because from land, wealth was derived from crops, from cattle, from housing, and that kind of thing. And there were specific rules in the scriptures about the inheritance of land. It was supposed to stay within a tribe. You couldn't transfer it out, and that kind of thing. Remember, uh, Naboth 
would not sell his ancestral homestead to King Ahab. And King Ahab was offering full price and or replacement of the same value. So it was, it was a very important, um, it was a very important part of the inheritance. And let me tell you briefly about how things were transferred in the, in the Old Testament. You'd have um, two forms of transfers. You'd either have transfers by interstate succession or operation of law where the uh, father didn't leave a will, or you'd have someone that left a will, either written or spoken, and that's called a bequest. The practice back then was to wait till you were circling the drain and then say what you wanted. Because at the very last minute, they were hoping, well, I can control it to last minute, and that's what I'll do. Well, in this instance, we don't know how it was transferred, but that is the difference. In uh, California, like so many other places, um, in our laws of interstate succession, the probate code lists who gets what if you don't leave a will. <clears throat> I'm dealing with one right now. In fact, it, uh, it's on court calendar tomorrow. And in that instance, a dear, dear friend of ours from 35 years ago, Kathy and I, when we first started in the church, it, um, it went to her as a one-quarter interest and she didn't do a will, and now she's died. So this one quarter interest in a house in Stockton is now up for grabs, and we're having to uh, deal with the court on that. And it's separate property, not community property. That means it gets split up differently in California's community property state. So all these things play in, but the significance of it is, is that if you don't, have your own plan in place, in writing, you're going to be subjected to the laws of an estate succession. Now the younger brother wanted to sell his portion of the land and he wanted to turn it into cash. That's exactly contrary to what the uh, customs were at the time. You were supposed to hang on to it and you get your portion because of your your portion of ownership would flow to you that way because you'd still want to keep producing cattle or, or crops or income that way. Scripture says in Ecclesiastes 7.11, wisdom, wisdom is good with inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. And Kathy and I have seen so many things about this where there was no wisdom, but there was a lot dropped in the laps of somebody we had a young lady come in about 20, 25 years ago, and her mother had been killed in an automobile accident. The attorney that did her will did not put in place what they call a testamentary trust. So no matter how old the children were, if the mother died, it was gonna be dropped in their lap. And so that's what happened. Well, she was a minor at the time of the death, so it went into a uh, guardianship and the grandmother hung on to the money until the court lost jurisdiction when the child turned 18. So this young girl gets $200,000 cash, tax-free, 18 years old. Eight months later, she comes into the office and she's asking Kathy how to fill out welfare papers. She's pregnant, she's had 
This is a tragedy, and we see it over and over again. Um, we're, we're, we have, we're dealing with folk, uh, folks right now who have a huge ranch up in Calaveras County. Last of the parents to die, that's where the glue is with the parents, that's what, where the kids are behaving. Last of the parents to die, kids start the old grudges, fighting amongst themselves. Huge land holdings, ranch holdings up there in Calaveras County. Being all split up, fighting over it in court, that kind of thing. You can't imagine the, the sadness and the, the, the problems that arise when people start fighting over things, and, and it isn't about assets sometimes, it's about someone saying, when I was seven years old, you did this to me, you did that to me. So lack of forgiveness, uh, holding grudges, sometimes it's the, uh, the spouse of the, of the beneficiary or the girlfriend of the beneficiary, these negative influence. Okay. So let's go to uh, verse 15. And he said to them, now Jesus is talking to everybody now, after he's told this guy, I'm not going to get involved. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Covetousness, and it doesn't get enough time behind the pulpit, in my opinion. Covetousness is the same as greed or avarice. This is the same kind of warning you get in the first Timothy where it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The phrase love of money in the Greek is a singular word. Philargoros, which literally means lover of silver. I found a definition that I thought was pretty good with respect to what is covetousness. Now we know a covetousness in the... In the uh, and the Ten Commandments is don't covet your neighbors, and it just goes through all kinds of things of the neighbors. But this definition is broader. It says, wanting more of what you already have enough of. Wanting more of what you already have enough of. And I thought this was amazing because it's easy to get into that condition in our own personal lives. Kathy and I had some folks come in the office one time. They didn't have any children. They were elderly. We did an estate plan for them, and, and I had to go down to Farmers and Merchants Bank, and they had safe deposit boxes. I pull out the safe deposit box, and it sprung like a, like a puppet. And it was stuffed full of government bonds $600,000 in government bonds that had quit, some of them had quit paying interest back in 1955. So they're just stacking and stacking, stacking. And those people weren't done. They didn't think there was anything wrong with it. That's the, that's the phenomenal thing that I noticed. They don't think anything's wrong with it. I have a guy one time, he had over $5 million in investments and these were, this wasn't land, this wasn't houses. These were, these were cash investments and uh, uh, stocks, bonds, securities, and all that stuff in these big portfolios. He was making over $20,000 a month. And he lived like a church mouse, and he told, my, uh, uh, he told his relative, who was my client helping him, that 
if I'm careful, I think I can make it. And we, and we have seen this in other areas too, not in large money, but we went into a, a case where this lady had pa- passed away and her, she had a whole bunch of uh, closets, a big home, a whole bunch of closets, full of clothes with the, with, the, uh, with the sticker still on from the stores that she never wore. Um, had, a, had, a, it, it had a guy come in one time, we did an estate plan for him, and this happens a lot. Just a few months after we did it, he passes away. I get a call from the, the surviving spouse saying, hey, um, the relatives are coming from Florida and I don't want them to be asking about the guns. This guy had guns. Now I had asked him if he had guns when I first did the estate plan for him and he said, yeah, but he wouldn't show them to me, he kept them to himself. So anyway, I said, okay, bring them to the office. So they, so they back up at the office with a Suburban and there's 48 guns that they unload and they're all around the, the conference room in the office. Looks like the Alamo. And so, obviously, God blessed us because you want to know one thing that sells out of an estate quick? Guns. All right. So anyway, but he blessed us. But I have 48 guns. You know, I think we can agree that 40 is enough. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and this can happen because of spontaneity in people when they're out shopping and, and, and they just, the compulsion is there to get more and more and more. Had a young lady come in on a Monday complaining that Friday she was talked into buying a new car that she couldn't afford. And I had to tell her, unfortunately, there's no cooling off period. The, the car industry has succeeded in Sacramento to prevent having the same kind of cooling off period you would get if you're going to refine out your house, you're going to buy a house. There's a cooling off period, but there's not one for cars. And so I felt sorry for this lady, and yeah, you're going to get nailed with, with, <laughs> with a long span of payments and a high interest for a depreciating asset like that. So that's the kind of thing that happens. I wanted to share with you that um, the question is, is in this description, who's going to say how much is enough? There's a danger in my opinion, and it's really out there now, and pushing socialism and that kind of thing, but who's gonna say how much is enough? And that's a, that could be a big issue. You're gonna be talking about balancing here and examining yourself. But uh, I'm gonna say, what about toilet paper? Huh? What if I come to your house and you can't get your car in the garage because it's full of toilet paper? That's where we're at nowadays in some of this stuff. So, anyway. But I have an asterisk in my Bible in the bottom on this. It's an exception. You can't have enough Chinese food. Okay. We're going to read the balance of this. Uh, Jesus is talking to talking to folks and he says he spoke a parable to them saying the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully and he thought within himself saying what shall I do since I have no room for my crops so he said I will do this I will pull down my barns and build greater and there I will store all my crops 
and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose things will those uh, be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of myths about rich men. And this one says, a certain rich man. So he already was rich. He already had everything. Ostensibly, the barns he had were already full. So let me tell you, there's a few uh, myths about people being rich. And there's a lot of negative connotations because the thought is, you're rich because you exploited somebody. Those kinds of things. That's not the case. We know there's a lot of rich people that are honest as can be. Another is, is that um, money's going to make you happy. Well, we know that that's not the case. There's a lot of miserable people that have a lot of money. And there's a lot of people who have money, who have a lot of people hanging around them and their friends. But I want to tell you, that isn't the case because those people aren't friends. They're rubbing shoulders with you because they want to be able to uh, be with you in your circle and that kind of thing. A lot of folks know uh, that I'm a boxing nut, especially a historian. And one of the things that Willie Pep said, he's a former uh, featherweight champion in the 50s, was the first thing that goes are your reflexes. The next thing that goes is your chin. The third thing that goes are your friends. And I think that's a good example of that kind of thing. Another, another thing is, is that intelligence doesn't uh, equal the ability to become rich. There are a lot of people who have wealth that are morons, and there's a lot of people who are, who are geniuses, and they don't have hardly anything. There was a... <laughs> There's a well-known uh, pastor who's passed on now, uh, named Jerry Falwell, and he used to get himself in trouble by saying, a Jew can make more money in accident than you can make in purpose. So those are the kind of things that show there's really no correlation between the two. Another thing, and this is sad, but hard work doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna translate it into wealth. There's people who have worked so, so hard and, they're, and they're, they don't have what they should have gotten for working hard. Uh, and that, and that's, that's the, actually the case. Now, I had, uh, in, that, in this connection, I had I'd gotten something that I wanted to uh, t show you and tell you about that's going to say, you don't have to worry about this. You're not going to have this problem. You're not going to be like this rich man and have a sudden windfall. And you're not going to go from rags to riches. And one of the reasons why is a song that was, came out in 1967, and I'm doing this for Sharon. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me, because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Should 5% appear too small, be thankful I don't take it all, because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. If you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you try to sit, I'll tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll tax the heat. 
If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. I'm the tax man. This sounds like Dr. Seuss. (laughs) Don't ask me what I want it for if you don't want to pay some more, because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Now, my advice for those who die, declare the pennies on your eye. Because I'm the tax man. I'm the tax man. And you're working for no one but me. Now, this course came out of England during the time that the Labor Party was in power. It's a very socialist-oriented, and they had very harsh progressive uh, income tax. So you don't think this will happen in America, right? Go ahead and play that. Watch this. Thank you. You know, in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, it said to Abraham, through his seed, all the world will be blessed. And Mo Howard and, J- and Jerome Howard, their name were Horowitz. They're Jewish, and so is Larry Fine. And so I had to put that in. Okay, okay going back to... The scripture, this is what the, the guy says. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. With my this, with my that. It doesn't say he cheated anybody. It doesn't say he exploited his workers to get this big windfall. Um, there's nothing unfair about the way this came into uh, this man's possession. But he consults himself. He doesn't consult God. Um, his focus is on his possessions. And you wonder, how is that? How, how do these things happen? Because they happen in real life. And right now, there's an insatiable demand in our culture for more and more and more. Our society says, this is how you recognize accomplishment and you gain status. This happens in business. This happens in sports. This happens in entertainment. So why is it when men meet one another, they ask them, what do you do for a living? They don't ask them, do you have folks that want to spend time with you? Do you have folks that care about you? Do you have folks that value you? Do you have folks that love you? Those things aren't what comes to the front when you first engage with someone for the first time. Our associations really should have nothing to do with finances at all. Now, I can't blame people for being into this culture. I'm guilty of participating in the system as well. This comes from hunger. This comes from deprivation. This comes from your childhood. I know 
A lot of you folks were raised during the Depression when you didn't have any food, when you didn't, that kind of thing. And I understand that. We're trying to make up for things. There were times when I was a, when I was a little kid, my folks went through a divorce, it was ugly. I was gonna share some stuff, but I'm not going to. But I'm gonna tell you this, I was determined that I wasn't gonna be a second-class citizen. And it, it was a problem for me later on in life. So I'm gonna tell you, I'm just, that's where it comes from. I understand why people have that. Um, but we're all kind of subjected to that kind of thing. There was a time when I had one pair of pants, one pair of Levi's, and I babied those because I had to wear them to school and, and after school. And one time I was, the knees were so thin I was on the swing and I jumped off the swing and came down, tore my, my knee. And I was so embarrassed. And what are they buying today? What are they wearing today? What's the fashion today? This is amazing. Anyway. And lastly, I want to tell you about this. That in the end it says, but God says to him, it's a fool. This night your soul is required of you. Then whose things will these be? Well, I'm going to tell you, that's something that Kath and I have experienced when people come in and they want an estate plan and they're afraid to lose control. Two reasons. They just want to stay in control. It's natural, especially if you worked hard for what you have. But the other reason is, is that their beneficiaries could be anything from people that are on drugs to people who have personality disorders and, and behavioral issues, or they have a spouse or a girlfriend that's going to influence them negatively. We've seen them tie up their property uh, in trusts for an extensive period of time. In fact, this was the, one of the things that used to happen in England where a rich guy would die and he would tie up his estate for generations, generations, hundreds of years. Well, they changed the law there and said there's what they call the rule against perpetuities, which means in California and the United States, your estate must vest and be free of trust to a life and being plus 21 years. So that way they couldn't keep these estates like they had in England going on in the same family forever. You saw the castles and you've seen things like that. Well, a lot of times this is what people are trying to do. And we've seen, we've seen people tie up stuff till their beneficiary, their children aren't gonna get theirs until they're 62 or something like that. I mean, they really stretch it out. So that's the significance of what Jesus said when he asks them, now whose things will these be? Now who's going to get these? Because I want to tell you, if you could look down from heaven and you could see what they do with your stuff, the stuff you cherish is going to go on a garage sale and sell for 15 cents on a dollar or be thrown away, okay? So it's kind of, anyway. But, but the last thing I wanted to share with you was in real life, we're not experiencing our souls required of us tonight, but how many is it being taken from us gradually? 
How many are we losing eyesight? We're losing our hearing. We're losing our, uh, our stabilities to walk, to ambulate, to run, to get around. It's happening to us gradually. And it, it makes us think. It makes us think about these things. Do I really want this? Do I really want to hang on to that? And lastly, in some of cases, our minds are going. Our intellect is disappearing. Our cognitive skills are leaving us. I had two brothers. One of them died of a drug overdose. He was the youngest one. He died of a drug overdose when he was 56. Found him in a trailer in Stockton. Got a call from the corner. Wanted to know if I was related to him. We were kind of estranged. My other brother, because of drugs and alcohol over the years, he had lost his ability to remember our childhood. So the things that were wonderful and, and, and joyful that I wanted to share with him when I got together with him, he wasn't there anymore. It wasn't there anymore. You know how painful that is? Now they're both gone. He passed away too from cancer. Smoked since he was 13 or 14. So anyway, that is a, a gradual experiencing what God's talking about to get you to consider what are the things that I'm accumulating? So the question now becomes, how do you reverse it? It says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, the, the way to do that is to start with thanksgiving. There's nothing in this, in, this, uh, in this chronology that says he thanked God for what he had. Nothing. And that's the first thing we need to do anytime we're successful, anytime we have a, uh, an achievement. Number two, consider others. There's no reference in here that he considered his wife, children, neighbors, family, community. There are so many causes that you can support. Those are the kind of things that help you be rich toward God. And then lastly, what about just going, getting into the uh, gift, giving in a Christian ministry? Those things are so important. You know, this man was alone. He didn't have uh, he didn't have any society. He didn't have someone who's, who's looking into his, his care, or how are you doing, that kind of thing. Let me share something with you. Because, because of our fellowship here, I'm receiving communications from beloveds. And I got this one all back that says, Amen. We were just talking about our friendships with you guys. I wish we could do more to together. I wish we could do more together. Do you think this guy got anything like that in any fashion, in any way? Do you know how important that is to be wanted? I can't, I can't imagine a life to where the body of Christ doesn't have that intensity all the time. We should be of one accord, we should be of one mind, one spirit, and that's the kind of thing that should be, be occupying us constantly. So I want to thank you, and I'm going to ask the Lord bless you today. I kept, I kept longer than I wanted to be, and I, anyway.
Father, we're thankful for for this time together. Let what we think about this topic, let what we do about this topic, let what we say about this topic glorify you, God, and that Jesus, you remain preeminent with us all the day and all the rest of the week. And he asked this in Jesus' name. And everybody, amen. amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.